Father, we do ask for opportunities to speak of you and to speak of your birth and to speak of your majesty and to speak of your salvation work. Um, and uh, Lord, we pray uh, that you would save um, more souls, oh Lord God, even as you have had mercy on us. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would be faithful. Um, pray that you would give us eyes to see opportunities as we have them. Pray that you would give us boldness and courage um, because we love you and uh, because we love others. Um, bless the time this morning as we continue to talk about uh, the law and how we can uh, work through it and apply it as a genre. Uh, Lord, thank you for preserving the scriptures, uh, for giving them to us. Um, bless this time, we ask in your name. Amen. Okay, so uh, last uh, week we were started talking about the genre of law, and when we talk about the genre of law, what we're thinking about is Basically, the principles, commands, stipulations of the Mosaic Covenant, uh, which is kind of scattered from, let's say, Exodus to Deuteronomy. Um, there's more. There's portions where you're just straight narrative in those sections, and then there's portions that are um, commands and principles. And uh, one of the things that we talked about uh, last week is to understand the law and how you're going to be able to apply it as a new covenant believer. You have to have that covenant backdrop. Uh, so we talked a lot about um, how the Mosaic Covenant is intertwined with the Abrahamic Covenant and how obedience to the Mosaic Covenant uh, for the nation of Israel is designed such that when they obey as a nation, they get the blessings of land seed and blessing of the Abrahamic Covenant. It's never, ever designed um, to earn one's salvation. Uh, that's not how God's law is designed. It was as it is for us um, in terms of obeying commands. Uh, it was to be a response um, to God's gracious rescue of Israel. So if you think about the Exodus as kind of the premier salvation event in the Old Testament, uh, then God saving the nation of Israel from Egypt and in response to that salvation, from generation to generation, they're supposed to keep the law. Um, so you've got lots of different components to that. Um, we even said that even in the sections where you have laws um, and like case law, if this happens, then do this, this, and this, um, there's, uh, there's, a, there's an understanding that you can apply the logic of the law to different and new scenarios so, you know, you think of uh, the law as you've got your Ten Commandments, which are kind of the governing principles that get fleshed out into specific commands, but even within those specific commands, you're supposed to be able to reason from those commands to other situations that arise in um, life. So, uh, other things, uh, you know, intertwined with, with the law, we've obviously got uh, the tabernacle and the t later the temple. Uh, and the priesthood and all of that, and that's just another component of signaling um, uh, the temple, the tabernacle is supposed to be a reminder of Eden, so it's, it's all the stipulations with their tabernacle, it's centered around the idea that now, in measure, not in fullness, but in measure, this people can dwell in, uh, with God's presence, or near God's presence, uh, in a sort of return to Eden, though not all the way, but it's supposed to be a reminder of that. So when you think about the stipulations of the tabernacle and the temple uh, and the laws for the priesthood, and you're like, why does this matter? Well, it ultimately matters because it's a, about a sinful people dwelling near to a holy God. Um, so 
that's, that's the basics. Uh, one other thing, we said the sign of covenants have signs. So the sign of the Mosaic Covenant uh, is keeping the Sabbath, which is why keeping the Sabbath is such a big deal uh, later in the biblical narrative. So those are just a few highlights and, and um, kind of the covenant backdrop that you need before thinking about how do I, as a new covenant believer, get something out of this uh, and be able to apply it, which we can. Now, what I want to do uh, today is uh, talk just a little bit more of how we make that jump. Um, how do we logically, legitimately move from Old Covenant uh, to New Covenant and look at the commands and principles and how do we apply them? So we need to do a little bit more work, but not too much. Uh, and then I want to do uh, an example and walking through uh, one or two, we'll see where we get, passages um, of how do you do this? How do we do it? Um, how do we work it out? So uh, now... When we talk about the genre of law, we were saying that's specific, we're specifically thinking about the Mosaic Covenant. But if you take a step back and think about law in terms of commands and God commanding his people to obey in a variety of ways, then there's other things outside of the Mosaic Law uh, where we see that. And we actually see it pre-fall. So if you go to Genesis 1, and this is going to be important for how we think about how to glean legitimate principles from the Mosaic law, we will actually want to look at the category of law more generally. So uh, go to Genesis 1. Uh, can't get more pre-fall than that. Um, so Genesis 1 and uh, in, when God is giving the marching orders for mankind uh, to be image bearers uh, for the glory of God in the world, we call this the Adamic covenant. So it is part of a covenant, I would argue. But in the midst of this, you get verse 28, uh, Genesis 1, 28. What, is, what does it say? Oh, wait. Yeah. Uh, is it a command? Yes. It's also a blessing. Did you notice that? Um, it's both a blessing and a command to do. It's a responsibility. Uh, but it is pre-fall. Um, because if you think about even the creation of mankind as grace, an act of grace, and there's responsibilities that go along with it, um, then you see uh, a command as a, as, a, as a, it should be a joyful responsibility, a blessing on the part of Adam and Eve. So the category of law um, is, is, is totally, totally meshes, if you're thinking about it rightly, with grace. Uh, the law is grace as long as you handle it well. It becomes legalism when you say, well, okay, I'm going to obey so that I can have a relationship with God. But that's never how um, the scripture describes the legitimate use of the law. The legitimate use of the law is I already have a relationship, in this case by creation, um, and then uh, I'm going to respond to that in obedience. Okay? You can even see in chapter 2, kind of further unfolding of... Um, 
of this and giving more marching orders to Adam and Eve. Uh, Genesis 2.15 um, through 17. Yahweh God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So again, we have command pre-fall. It gives instruction. Remember, that's what the word Torah means. It means instruction. It's instruction for how you're supposed to live in relationship to this, in this case, the creator God. Um, you can see another example of this. Turn to Genesis 26. So now we're later into the narrative. But still, very much pre-Mosaic covenant. Um, someone go ahead and read... Yeah, someone go ahead and read uh, 26, 1 through 5. Okay, so verses 1 through 5 are essentially reestablishing the Abrahamic covenant through Isaac. And then verse 5 is kind of where I want to draw your attention. Um, because why? Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And all those words that get used there um, for statutes, commandments, and laws, they later refer to the Mosaic covenant. But this is pre-Mosaic covenant. So... Um, what's going on here. Uh, is there ever a place where God kind of lays out, here's all these commands, Abraham, that you're, if, you're, if you're in relationship with me, you're supposed to follow? Uh, well, not explicitly, um, not, not like that. So what you see here is Abraham is obeying the standard of what God wants if you're in relationship with him, even pre-formal Mosaic covenant. Uh, so again, this just helps us as we think about the category of law and how we're going to think about applying the category of Mosaic Covenant. We can see, hey, law pre preexisted the fall, preexisted the Mosaic Covenant. Um, so that helps us a little bit in how we think, and we'll get there uh, as New Covenant believers, how we apply it. Any questions up to this point? Okay, one other spot. Flip forward to Romans. Just a little ways forward into the future from Abraham. Uh, Romans 2, 14 through 16. So Paul's making an argument in Romans 1 and 2. 
and he's basically trying to condemn every human being that's ever existed, no matter where they've lived, um, and show you're a sinner, you deserve God's wrath. Um, so that's kind of what he's doing in chapters 1 through first part of chapter 3. Uh, in the middle of that, you get Romans 2, 14 through 16. So someone go ahead and read those verses. Okay, so what does that affirm in relation to law and people's access to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a there's a manifestation of God's law, His instruction, His standard. Uh, written on every individual's heart. You could call that natural law, but it's the idea that people know right from wrong, uh, even if they're in the deepest, darkest jungle of wherever, you know. Uh, they know right from wrong because God has left himself a witness on the, on the heart. The conscience is the built-in, um, uh, you know, judge. Um, <laughs> you know, it either condemns you or it excuses you, uh, depending on what you do, you can skew your conscience, but there is that built-in reality of uh, of it declaring you innocent or guilty. Um, so again, you see another category of law outside the Mosaic law, but it's still considered law, and it's still referencing or manifesting God's standard. Uh, and that's a key thought, um, even as we go into us as new covenant believers. Okay. So speaking of the new covenant, since we are, um, we are new covenant believers in Jesus Christ, what does the new covenant have to say about the law? Well, it actually has something very substantial to say about the law. Go to Jeremiah, the key text in the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And when someone gets there... Okay, lots of things going on here. Um, what do you notice? There's lots to pick out, so. Yeah, God's doing what? Yep, he's making a new covenant. What is the new covenant? What, if there's a new covenant, what's the old covenant? According to this, what old covenant? What, what? He, as soon as you call something new, you've automatically got a comparison with something old, right? What's, in, what's, he, what's referred to here as the Old Covenant? 
the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant made at Sinai, right? So you've automatically got a comparison and a contrast with the Old Covenant. And we understand that, but it's just to show it's right there in, right there in the text, okay? What's, what's some of the things the New Covenant is supposed to do, according to Jeremiah 31? Yeah. So the law doesn't go away. The law gets put where? On their heart, which goes back even all the way back to when the ink was still wet on Deuteronomy. Deuteron- well, it's still being written. Deuteronomy 30 talks about how um, God's going to circumcise your heart. Now, I take that to mean, uh, and theologians differ on this, but I take circumcision of the heart to refer to regeneration, and I believe that there were Old Testament saints that were regenerated, that had a circumcised heart. However, what, you're like, well, then what's new about this? Well, um, the problem was is that in Israel, not everyone had a circumcised heart. Uh, which is what he goes into, uh, Jeremiah um, goes, uh, well, God <laughs> goes into uh, when he says, uh, you don't ha- this, it's not going to be the case with the new covenant that you have to say to your neighbor, know the Lord, which is just another way of talking about have a relationship, a saving relationship with God. In Israel, you had to do that because you've got some people who know God and then other Israelites who are in the Mosaic Covenant that don't know God. So you've got to talk to them and say, hey, um, fellow Israelite, you need to know God. But with the New Covenant, uh, uh, the, those, you don't have a circle within a circle anymore. You have um, equality of those circles. Everyone who's a part of the New Covenant knows God. Everyone has a circumcised heart. Everyone has the law written on their heart. Now, when a Jew who hears, who read this, heard this, read to them, and they hear the law being written on their heart, what would they have automatically thought of? Yeah, the tablets, and by extension, the Mosaic Covenant, right? So that's the law that they know, and I mean, that's, you use the word law, you use the word Torah as it's used here, and you say, hey, the Torah is going to be written on your heart. Um, what that means is, is the Torah is not going away. It's being extended to every single individual, and they're going to obey from the heart. So it's not just rote uh, or mechanical obedience. God's going to give you the empowerment and the desire to, for every single individual in the covenant to obey the law. So that means that when we think about, that's what the new, part of what the new covenant is doing. Um, so when that gives us a point at which of departure for us now to think as new covenant believers. Because if we're part of the new covenant, what does that mean? According to this. The law is written on our heart by and we find through further revelation in Ezekiel and in the New Testament, of course, that the Spirit is the one who writes the law on our hearts and also gives us the empowerment to obey. So the law doesn't go away as a Christian. The law is to be obeyed from the heart. So are we required to keep the law? Yes. Yes. Uh, why? Because we love God. And that's the way it's always been, right? Because whether you're a regenerate Israelite or whether you're a regenerate New Covenant believer, um, you obey the, the ideal, God's standard, is because you love God, you obey. 
Uh, and so the law is not gone. The law, it, we have a new capacity and power to obey it. Uh, it's never been, okay, I obey so that I have a relationship with God, not in the Old Testament, not in the New, uh, but it has always been that idea of God's going to, uh, for a regenerate person, that God's going to write the law on the heart. They're going to circumcise the heart. Uh, in the New Covenant, we do have the added power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. They didn't have that in the Old Covenant, uh, but so that we can obey God's law because God's law in all of those categories, right, whether you're talking pre-fall, uh, Abraham, the law written on the heart as any old person, the law written on the conscience. Um, every single iteration of or manifestation of the law goes back to who? Every, whether you're talking pre-fall, post-fall, uh, whether you're talking the man on the street who doesn't know God but has a law written on his conscience, essentially, uh, what do all of those different manifestations of the law, who do they ultimately go back to? God. The, 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 any given iteration of the law is an expression of God's standard, of God's eternal moral character. God's standard never changes. Um, the application of what that standard looks like in a given era and time and culture can change, but the principle, the heart, never changes. Uh, Brenda, you had your hand up. In the New Covenant, yes. Yeah. Well, I would say that's a, so I would argue from Romans 2, 14 through 16, similar language is used, but I think what Paul is addressing there, he's addressing the issue of everyone knows the standard like, they have the standard. Not in a God-honoring way because they don't know God. So it's there to convict. So that is one of, and a primary, even a primary purpose of the law, and Paul argues that extensively, right? God, the, the law is a measuring rod. It shows you the standard. So if you don't know God, it's going to show you you don't measure up. In fact, as a believer... Uh, since we're still being sanctified, it's going to show you that you don't measure up. The difference is, for a regenerate person, now you have the uh, empowerment, and especially as a new covenant believer, you have the empowerment of God's Spirit to, un, uh, to obey the law. What's that? Well, it, uh, at least the no God language, it comes from Jeremiah 31, so I don't know. Uh, I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, so the idea, um, what he's talking about is he's saying. So think of, old, think of Israel for a second. So Israel under the Old Covenant. Everyone who's in Israel is part of the Old Covenant. Does everyone in Israel know the Lord? No, they don't. You've got, that's what I mean by a circle in a circle. You've got those, the inner circle of Israel who does know the Lord, and then you've got everyone who's still in Israel but outside of that inner circle who doesn't know the Lord. But they're all within the covenant. 
But what's going on in Jeremiah 31 and with the new covenant is he's saying, look, this covenant, there's no circle within a circle anymore. Everyone who is part of the new covenant knows God. So if you're within the new covenant, you do not have to say to another new covenant member, know God, because they already know God. Everyone who is in the new covenant knows God. Yes. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's a good illustration, right? So um, that's where even some in the... So here's where, um, just to contrast with some of our uh, reformed, and by reformed I mean like um, we're reformed in certain ways, but uh, like say Presbyterian brothers and sisters, right? So genuine believers, we love them. Um, but what they would do is they would say, well, the church, you've got the same kind of, they see a lot more continuity where they would say, it's a kind of a similar situation where if you have a child as a new covenant believer, that child is in the covenant just in the same sort of way that in Israel, a child was automatically made part of the covenant. And that's what, you know, that's where Susan's point is a good one, right? It's like, no, just because you are born to a Christian family uh, you're born to new covenant believers, that doesn't mean that you're automatically a new covenant believer. Whereas they would say yes. And so that forms some some key differences um, and a lot of practice. Um, so uh, the, the way you enter the new covenant is different than the way you enter the old. The way you enter the old is by birthright, uh, being part of the people of Israel. The way you enter the new is through repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ doesn't mean there wasn't repentance and faith in the Old Testament. Of course there was. But it wasn't, it wasn't about being in the covenant, the, the Mosaic covenant or not. It was about repentance and faith and trusting in God's provision to deal with your sin. So, yeah. These are good questions you guys are bringing up. So, any more at this point? Uh, you know, I just have to say that I'm just thinking about the Yes. Uh, well, it's announced in Jeremiah. So, yes, exactly. Yeah. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you for that's that's really important because in Jeremiah, it, so and you got to think context here is really important because what's going on in Jeremiah, like bigger picture, what's. They're going to Babylon. They're going into exile. Why are they going into exile? Because they couldn't obey the law. Um, you know, there were individual believers and obeyers of the law within Israel, but not the whole nation. You need the whole nation obeying. You need the whole nation with the circumcised heart. That's what Deuteronomy 30 says, in order for the law to do its right work, in the sense of, hey, all Israel's obeying. You get the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. You tracked all the nations of the world. It's great. It's awesome problem is the whole nation doesn't have a circumcised heart. So at right as they're going into exile, God says, hey, this didn't, uh, 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 I'm going to create a new covenant such that we're not going to have this problem anymore. Now, notice who is the new covenant first and foremost made with? Israel, right? So, 
yeah, for, for the Jews first, because of God's program and plan, uh, and this is one of the reasons I'm a dispensationalist, right, is because um, uh, God's still going to work with Israel. We're still waiting for them to enter the new covenant, such that all this happens. It's just that once we get to the New Testament, it becomes clear that if I place my faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, I am welcomed in as a Gentile into the new covenant community. So a lot of Gentiles now are being saved. Israel, uh, as a nation, isn't being saved yet. It will one day, as a whole nation, be saved and enter the new covenant. Um, But uh, it's just being announced here. So it's announced here. It's announced in Ezekiel 36. So by the time you get to the New Testament, all of the... the, uh, what the new covenant is supposed to do is already set. And Jesus just initiates it in the sense that he gives the sacrifice to pay for people's sins. Uh, he, um, he, 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 I mean, that's what he's doing in Matthew. Um, when we talk about when he says, I will build my assembly, he's talking about the new covenant assembly. And the new covenant assembly gets kicked off on Pentecost. It's not that the sacrifice didn't already happen to pay for people's sin, but as far as the, new, the assembly being built, starting to be built, that's what starts to happen on Pentecost. Yeah. Exactly, because that's part of the new covenant, is the Spirit is coming and now indwelling God's people. Yeah. Lots of big ideas that you're connecting right now, so this is good. Um, any, and any follow-up questions, because this is important stuff. Yeah, Tony. Sure. The other thing I want to say is also, of course, in Romans, the key thing that Paul is writing to in Romans is, I'm going to tell you a great mystery. Not one of the house of Israel, Israel is going to be lost. Yeah. There's a mystery in there. Yeah. God is going to work out to this end. Yeah. But I also want to go on then, because this is what I call God's modus operandi. And what I mean is, we can talk about this and slice and dice it any way we want, but God says, this is how I work. So, all of that to say, why we talk about this and why it's important to grasp this pivot is now we've got an understanding of, as a new covenant believer, what is my relationship to the law? And you get even language in the, 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 the New Testament. Uh, you, you know, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, I'm not under the law referring to the Mosaic Covenant, but I'm under the law of Christ. Um, what he's referring to is, what's the law of Christ? It's the new covenant law being written on the heart. Um, and even James talks about the royal law, the law of the kingdom. Um, and it's 
the law being written on the heart. So the law didn't go away. Our capacity to obey it um, changes because we're indwelt by the Spirit. Okay, so then how do we handle the law? The Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, how do we, what do we do with it? Um, here's, and we, we laid this out a little bit last week, but I want to dwell on it. Behind every manifestation of the law, whether you're talking the guy in the jungle, uh, New Covenant law, Old Covenant law, Abrahamic law, pre-Edenic law, it all goes back to God's eternal moral character, which cannot change. So the application of that character, um, like the specific working out in a specific time and place, can change, but not the underlying principle. Because the underlying principle is rooted in God's eternal moral character. So, that's how I can look at the Old Covenant, not being under that covenant. I am not under the Mosaic Covenant. But I can still go to the Mosaic Covenant as instruction, and I can look at something like the food laws, and I can learn from them. Because even behind the food laws is a principle, and it becomes clear in the context of Leviticus 11, of what is that all about? Demonstrating in a practical, concrete way that you belong to God um, in your daily life, and your eating, and your drinking. Um, well, that principle still applies to me, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, to do all to the glory of God, even though the application changes. Uh, I can eat bacon. I can eat shrimp. I can eat those foods while still being bound by the underlying principle of exercising holiness in daily life. And that's how you approach the Old Covenant law. You're not under it as a covenant. You're looking at the specific laws. You're looking for the underlying principle. And then you think about, well, how do I then apply that principle to today and now? Uh, sometimes we get some New Testament commands that help us along in this process. And sometimes we just have to do some reasoning and thinking of what would that look like? What would that same principle look like today? Uh, but this is where, you know, Paul can affirm in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, including the law. It's still profitable for a new covenant believer, not because they're under the covenant, but because of what it witnesses to about God's eternal character and, and, and gives you... I, some instruction and direction on how to live in relation to him. That's the basics of how we go about interpreting the law. Okay, what do you want to ask? And these are hard things. People will like wrestle over this stuff. Um, and I've wrestled over it a lot too, but let's, let's clarify, make sure we're on the same page. Yeah, Susan. Yeah, the Sabbath is always a big question. Now, remember what I said, because I specifically addressed it. 
what is one of the big deals with the Sabbath in relation to the Mosaic Covenant? Well, God established it, but there's even a more fundamental, well, not fundamental, but, well, yes, rest, but uh, what, it's the sign of the covenant. Every covenant has a sign. Um, and what is a sign of the covenant? A sign of a covenant is something that you can look at, that you do regularly, that reminds you, reminds the covenant partners of that covenant, like the wedding ring, right, for, for marriage. For us, for marriage anyway. Um, this morning, as I was driving down 30th, heading towards May Street, there's this big old rainbow coming down, and it looked like it was sitting right in the gorge. It was amazing. But then I was thinking, oh, that's the sign of the Noahic covenant. And it reminds me that God is not going to flood the earth again. He's going to bring rest. He's, he's going to bring an ultimate sense of rest. So, do I keep Saturday, which the Sabbath is on Saturday um, anyway, um, uh, do I keep the Sabbath in, because I'm under, uh, am I mandated to keep the Sabbath? No, because I'm not under that covenant, therefore I don't, I'm not worried about its sign. However, um, the Sabbath points back to, uh, Genesis 2, uh, 1 through 3, uh, where God says, you know, I'm, I'm establishing, uh, I'm sanctifying this day, sacred time and sacred space, uh, to, to, to express the rest, uh, the joy, the peace uh, of man dwelling with God. And also, if you look at the Sabbath commands in the Mosaic Covenant, uh, there's this principle of, uh, there's this principle of uh, you need to rest, you need to act in faith to take time off so that it, you're expressing your dependence on God. So I would say, do I keep the Sabbath as a command? No, because I'm not under that covenant. Are there principles there that are still legitimate to apply? Yes. Like to take rest intentionally such that you are saying, um, yeah, there's more I could do today, but I'm going to intentionally rest as a way of trusting God and also of looking forward to the final rest he's going to bring. Which brings up something else you mentioned. Um, when we come to Christ and are brought into the new covenant, there is a measure of rest that we partake in. However, we are not full partakers of the rest that the Bible looks forward to. That's going to come, and I think this is what Hebrews, and I don't know if Hebrews was the backdrop to what you were talking about, but Hebrews uh, 4, when it talks a lot about the Sabbath, I think he's still looking forward to the future. And he's saying, you've got to persevere in faith now as new covenant believers so that you can enter that future, final, Edenic, eschatological rest that is coming. Um, so in a sense, we, partake, we do partake in rest in Christ, but not the full and final, like complete, full package deal rest until the future. So there's principles I would apply from the Sabbath while not saying I'm going to take Saturday off. Although it so happens that I do take Saturdays off. Um, so uh, there you go, or try to anyway. So, <laughs> um, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, uh, more questions on, on this. Mm-hmm. 
Right. What else do you want to ask? I want to make sure before we, we're not going to get, we got five minutes, so we're not going to get to a specific work on passage. We'll do that after the new year. But I want to make sure that we're, we're kind of laid all the basic principles and the general principles of how to view the law before we go to a passage. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, Yeah. Uh, no, it's a good question. Um, I don't pull it from the um, Ten Commandments itself. I, um, it, if you go to uh, Exodus 31, uh, and here's the thing about signs with covenants. There are, I believe every single covenant has a sign. Um, sometimes uh, the language is not explicit, so sometimes you have to do a little extrapolation, but thankfully, in this case, we don't have to. So, uh, Exodus 31, 12 through 17. Yahweh said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, Yahweh, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to Yahweh. Therefore, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days... Yahweh made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, and the, the, the other key here is in the Ten Command, uh, the Exodus 20, and here you can see it too, he's, it's a, it's a way to tie the creator God with this particular people. God established, um, I don't, you know, the Sabbath, that seventh day idea, in creation, and by making it the sign of the Mosaic Covenant, he's saying, okay, linked with this people, I'm linking this people with the Creator God in this particular way. So it's just, it's not just about taking the day off, it's about um, the link between um, God and, and this particular people. So, yeah, David. Yeah, and that's a good point. Like, um, you'll get, and I, I, I want to, I remember looking at all, all the covenants before and like, well, which one's everlasting, which one's not, and that language is really important uh, because essentially our argument is that, yeah, all the covenants that you get in Scripture are everlasting except the Mosaic Covenant because that language doesn't get applied to it. And you can kind of see that in the language of the New Covenant um, uh, hey, I'm making a new covenant in comparison with the old covenant. And the author of Hebrews says, well, that means the old covenant's 
done. Done in the sense of it being done as a covenant, not in the sense of I can still go to it and learn from it. Um, and that's a distinction that we need to draw. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, right, so the, um, here's what, yeah, you had some of the, kind of the generation or two after the reformers start talking about things like the covenant of uh, works and the covenant of grace, and that's where you get into covenant theology. When you talk about covenants, you're not automatically talking about covenant theology, as confusing as that is, um, but uh you get like a lot of our, even our, um, our reform brothers and sisters would start saying, well, there's like this super covenant, like it's the covenant of grace and every covenant is a manifestation of that. And I would just say, that's just not how scripture talks. Um, when it talks about covenants, it lays them out pretty clearly, although some you have to do a little bit more implications on. So, uh, you know, I would argue for Adamic covenant, Genesis 1 and 2, um, Noahic covenant, which is kind of a reaffirmation of the Adamic covenant with some extra stipulations tacked on. Mos uh, Abrahamic covenant, uh, that one's pretty clear. Mosaic covenant, that one's pretty clear. Uh, Davidic covenant, um, which I, I've never heard it used that term, but you could use the term messianic because that's the Messiah is the ultimate Davidic king, and then the new covenant. So you've got six um, as I count them. Um, other people count differently and would argue and go back and forth. But in general, those are the covenants that Scripture is talking about. And the key thing about covenants, I mean, I, I try to, this is one of those things I try to keep bringing up. They're how they, that's how God forms the storyline of Scripture and how he advances it. So if you think about the storyline of Scripture as being the kingdom, it starts with the kingdom, it ends with the kingdom, um, uh, and it begins with Eden and it ends with Eden. Uh, then how does God advance the plot line? He advances the plot line through, well, many things, but especially those covenants and how the covenants interrelate and work together. And once you understand that and understand how they work together, uh, a lot of your Bible um, becomes a lot more clear. Um, and so that's why, and even specific to our issue, how do you view the old covenant law? Uh, if you have that backdrop, things click into place a little bit more um, easily, I think. So still... Still plenty complicated, but. Well, praise the Lord. Well, let's pray. Um, and if you have more questions, of course, feel free to ask. So, uh, Lord, we want to obey your law uh, because we love you. Uh, Lord, guard us from slipping into the legal mindset of because I obey, um, uh, you love me. But, Lord, rather, because you love me, I want to obey. Lord, I pray that. Um, you would give us grace to live that out. Thank you for the promise of the new covenant, the, uh, the law written on the heart, the indwelling spirit, so that we can obey. We thank you that we are a manifestation as a local church of the new covenant community that will be displayed at the end of time. We pray for Israel, even specifically, um, that you would um, open their eyes to see the Messiah and to believe in him so that um, all of what you've promised may come to pass. 
Uh, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, um, and pray that you bless the rest of our morning. In Christ's name, amen.